0: Is the trip that changed me, a podcast about trips that transform. I'm Esme Benjamin, editor of Full Time Travel, and every other Thursday, I'll be sitting down with entrepreneurs, writers, entertainers, and everyday adventurers to discuss a journey that shifted their mindset, ignited a new calling, expanded their heart, or ushered in a new chapter. My guest, Jessica Nabongo, is the first black woman to visit every country in the world and document the entire journey. Her blog and Instagram, the Catch Me If You Can, showcase her adventures and the message that underpins them all, the world is our neighborhood, which is also the title of her TED talk. Since completing her record-breaking journey in October 2019, Jessica has been busy sharing her story with international media publications, including Condé Nast Traveler, Lonely Planet, and Good Morning America. She is also the founder of Jet Black, a boutique travel company that specializes in trips to Africa, Central and South America, and the Caribbean. I called Jessica at home in Detroit to discuss her incredible trip around the world, and the one moment in Mali that clarified her sense of purpose and reinvigorated her all the way to country 195. Jessica Nabongo, welcome to the trip that changed me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on. I was really watching your entire adventure last year with just avid interest. And congratulations <laughs> on completing the, the mission and making your goal.
1: Yes, thank you. I It's crazy because now I'm like three months out. And, you know, when you're in the middle of something, it seems like it's never going to end. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that happened? Did I
0: do that? 195 <laughs> countries at, at such a young age is very impressive. Do you have any other idea of how many people have completed the same thing?
1: Um, it's less than three hundred.
0: Um, wow, because it
1: seems from like the different communities who sort of track this thing, it seems like probably around fifty people completed this year. But yeah, it's definitely under three hundred of the world's seven billion.
0: Well, good for you. Um, Before we start talking about that in more depth, I'd love to start at the very beginning and talk a bit about your childhood. Your parents are Ugandan immigrants who moved to Detroit, Mm -hmm. Michigan, which is where they raised you. In a lot of Mm -hmm. the interviews I've seen, it sounds like you're a really tight-knit family um, and that they actually love to travel a lot as well. How much of your interest in travel came from them?
1: Yeah, for sure. All of it. You know, I always say my parents are very, they were very generous with us um, growing up. I've been traveling internationally since I was four. And um, even beyond that, we did a lot of domestic travel, whether it was like camping or um, there's there's these Ugandan North American conventions. Um, So sometimes we would do that. So maybe like Minneapolis, Atlanta, D.C.
0: Like a big meetup?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was like the North American Ugandan conference, basically. Wow. Um, Which was great. And I missed them. (laughs) Um, But yeah. So, I mean, you know, I grew up in a home with two sets of encyclopedias and Atlas. I still have my childhood globe in my house now. So definitely my parents sort of opened me and my two sisters up to the world, um, you know, without boundaries, without fear. There never was this fear of like traveling abroad.
0: And you actually ended up living in some other countries. You moved to Japan to teach English and then Mm -hmm. completed a graduate degree at the London School of Economics. Do you feel Mm -hmm. like going to those places and building a life for yourself there kind of built your confidence when it comes to traveling and specifically traveling solo?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt, because the thing is, when you move abroad, like when I moved to Japan, that was the first place I moved. I'd never been to Asia and you're pretty much on your own. Like I'm, I worked there, so I had coworkers. But you know, for the first few months, I was meeting people, but I didn't have friends. Um, I mean, I make I make friends pretty quickly, but yeah. So it basically is like a solo mission because I go to work, I go home, I go to the grocery store, I do all of those things on my own. Um, and a lot of the exploring that I did when I first got there it was definitely on my own. So subsequently, after leaving Japan, I traveled for um, like eight months uh, in 2009, which is when I started my blog, the Catch Me If You Can. And then I moved to London. After that, I moved to Benin with my ex. And after that, I moved to Rome and I was working for the UN. But I definitely think that living abroad made me a lot more comfortable with solo travel In particular, because it's the same as being wherever you live, right? You're not always with friends, but you may often want to like get out and do something.
0: Tell me about your role for the UN.
1: So I started out doing some comm stuff um, and some project management. I worked at the Food and Agriculture Organization because at LSE, I my studies focused on agriculture in Africa. So that's sort of how I ended up working at FAO. And the last role that I had before I left was I was managing communications for one of the departments. So
0: awesome. Yeah. And do you feel like when it comes to traveling, you are, you know, you very thorough when you're planning these things? Do you start the year by plotting where you're going? Or have you always just kind of let the wind blow you where it will? <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm very much let the wind blow it, blow me where it will, because um, even when I was living in in London, like the way I traveled around Europe was based on, you know, Ryanair flights and what was cheap, Mm -hmm. because I've always had a desire to visit every country in the world. So I would, you know, search for places I had never been um, and see whatever flight deals were to any place that I had never been. Oh, that's um, interesting. And even now, I definitely like, OK, at the beginning of the year, I have a list. I'm like, OK, these are places I would love to go back to this year. Um, and people are like, when are you going here? When are you going there? I'm like, I don't know. I just, <laughs> just want to go. I'm just putting it out there and the universe will make it happen. So, yeah, like, I mean, nearly probably once a week, I'm booking a flight to somewhere. I'm doing a lot more domestic travel this year. And then as I have been for the last several years, I'm aiming to spend three to four months in Africa.
0: It's interesting, you know, you saying that you like to try and visit new places because I feel like, yeah, travelers fall into two categories. There's people who love to return to the same place again and again, and it's kind of their go-to and they know what to expect. And then there's people who... They only they don't want to repeat. They want to try new things, which I guess now Mm -hmm. you've done. Not that you've been everywhere in every single country, but you've ticked all the boxes, gone everywhere.
1: Yeah. You know what's (laughs) interesting? So I'm actually traveling to Jamaica um, soon and I haven't been to Jamaica since I was 12. So that's whoa, 23 years. So um, in many ways, it's going to feel like a completely new country. I'm sure it won't feel familiar to me. And obviously, I'm very different than I was at 12. There's a lot of places that I can't wait to get back to because I love them so much, like Cuba. I I went oh. four times in an 18-month period. Wow, I love Cuba as well. It's the best. Yeah, Colombia, I've been to so many times. I want to get back to Lama, Kenya. So for sure, there's new places that I want to visit, obviously, in countries that I've already been to. But I'm also excited about going back to a lot of places that I fell in love with.
0: Was there like a tipping point where you reached, say, country like 95 and thought, oh, I could just do the other 100. Like, when did you decide, OK, this is my goal? i visit <laughs> every country on, on the globe. Well, the
1: thing was, I've been wanting to do it since my early 20s. But I always said that I would do it by my 40th. It was in February 2017 that I said, you know what, I'm going to do it by my 35th. And that's when this went into overdrive. Um, but at that point, I had already been to 60 countries. Just oh, wow. casually
0: traveling. <laughs> and it the whole thing wasn't one continuous journey, right? You kind of went home in between and then did certain geographical areas where you could do visit several countries in one go.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely I came home throughout.
0: That must have taken a lot of planning and <laughs> strategy. Oh my gosh.
1: It was a nightmare. <laughs> um I have a girl on my team, Anno, who was in the trenches with me. Going through everything, figuring out um, the logistics were an absolute nightmare because it's not just how to get, you know, from here, from home to these countries or to that region. It's also traveling between countries. The South Pacific and Central Africa is the act like the worst. Those are the worst two regions to travel like within Um, Because people don't do that. So Mm. it's very expensive. It's very difficult. So many places in the South Pacific, I wanted to spend more time. But it would be like, okay, two days or 10 days. And because of how the flights were. So, you know, a lot of times I had to opt for two days. But the really cool thing about that is I feel like I've tasted every flavor. (laughs) And now I'm like, okay, I want more of this, less of that, more of this. Yeah.
0: You... Always, I love your Instagram. You always look so glamorous and well put together. I don't know how you do it because you're like living out of a suitcase. I don't know how you manage (laughs) it. Do you have like secret packing tips?
1: (laughs) That's so funny. People comment about that a lot. And I'm like, if you really look closely, I wear many things all the time. Like I'm, I'm basically, I have a small wardrobe and I just repeat things all the time. But, um, the biggest thing I do is I use packing cubes. Cause mm. now when I do pack my, my suitcase is very neat. So I use packing cubes, you know, like, obviously I have like a toiletry bag. Uh, I have shoe bags to keep my shoes like away from everything else. So I am very organized when it comes to packing. A secret about me is I hate packing and I do it so much. And I'm the worst unpacker in the world. So like I like it's funny, I'm sitting in my living room and I'm looking. There's a box of stuff that I shipped from London because (laughs) I was going to Africa from there. There's like a suitcase that's open with things spilling out of it. Um, There's another carry on that's half full that I need to empty before I travel in two days. So that, that's the secret life of Jessica. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know what they say, the people who unpack their, their suitcase as soon as they arrive back home are psychopaths. <laughs> so I, I agree. agree. <laughs> <laughs> but you also, you also have your own business, Jet Black. How did you maintain mm-hmm. the company while you were doing all this travel?
1: Ooh, that's a really good question. Yeah, I did a very bad job of maintaining <laughs> the company while I was traveling. So there was definitely a huge decline in like revenue from Jet Black in 20, I guess like 2018, 2017, I was still working on it because I host group trips and I plan private trips. But with the group trips, I didn't, like in 2017, I was still hosting them, but it got to a point where I'm like, I can't do this and still be able to visit every country. So I had to stop doing that for um, two years. And then... Um, and then in terms of private trip planning, I had support from someone who now works on Jet Black exclusively, but she was sort of helping me to plan trips for clients while I was traveling. So, yeah.
0: Oh, that's invaluable. But that. now we're,
1: we're back in business. Um, everything is, you know, <laughs> we, we're we traveling to Jordan um, in April, which I'm really excited about. That's a hosted group trip. And what I love is all of our trips, there's only 10 spaces And then it's me and a photographer. And it's just great because we're able to like do a deep cultural dive. But on the flip side, we do luxury accommodations. So it's a
0: nice mix. That sounds great. And I also, mm-hmm. I like that you have a photographer come along with you to capture the moments.
1: <laughs> yeah, because like, it's funny. Um, I'm known to yell at clients while we're traveling. I'm like, look, they're going to take, the photographer is going to take better <laughs> pictures than you ever could. Be in the moment. So just put your phone down. Yeah, I'm constantly <laughs> saying, please, put, please put your phone down. Just enjoy <laughs> it. You don't have to capture the images. Um, and I know people still want it on their phone, but I really do try to work to make sure that people are really living in the moment when traveling with me.
0: I love that. That's an important service to have. So getting back to your journey, you you particularly loved a lot of your travels around the continent of Africa. Mm -hmm. And obviously travel is a huge privilege, but it's not without its challenging moments. And at one point when Mm -hmm. you were in Mali, West Africa, you were having a bit of a tough, tired, (laughs) exhausted moment. (laughs) Um, Can you tell us what was going through your mind at that point? Yeah, it's interesting. So
1: Mali was one of the countries. So I think it was like 154. So I had like... fairly towards the end. Right, fairly. Um, (laughs) People say that. I'm like, I still have 41 countries (laughs) left. But so before Mali, I had done Libya, um, Mauritania and Niger. And then I was in Mali and then I was going to Burkina Faso. And the thing is... Most of those countries are francophone. And while I speak Mm. French, I'm not fluent. Right. And I was traveling alone. So I'm speaking, I'm having conversations, but it's really exhausting when you're not fluent because you're like, okay, brain, you're like, your brain is working overtime. So I had great times in those countries, um, but it was exhausting and I was alone. So when I got to Mali, which was the country I was the most excited about visiting in that group of countries. I got really frustrated because I wanted to go to Timbuktu, but there's issues there right now. um, So it's not really safe. Then I wanted to go to another area, but just I was trying to find drivers. Everyone was trying to take advantage of me in terms of the cost. and So it was just really frustrating and not what I wanted it to be, um, which is why I always try to travel without expectation Mm -hmm. so you can avoid disappointment. (laughs) And so the nice thing was I had connected with a photographer there um, via Instagram and we had, we hung out a couple times and one day, um, well, no, let me say, so the night before I met up with him to go to this market, I was on FaceTime with my friend Ashley and I was like, what am I doing? This is so crazy. Like, what was I thinking? And she's like, you only have 41 left. I'm like, are you insane? That's crazy. This is stupid. I hate it. Um, And so, and so, you know, I was really frustrated. I was crying. I just remember thinking like this, it's just too much. And so the next day I link up with this photographer and we go to the market and while in the market, he's like introducing me to some guys there and he tells them what I'm doing and they're like, what? C'est impossible. It's impossible. It's not true. Um, and I'm like, yeah, it's true. And, you know, again, I wasn't in the greatest of spirits. I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. It's kind of my thing. <laughs> and then one of them said, c'est pas pour toi, c'est pour nous, which means it's not for you, it's for us and you know and then there was all this excitement and we we got after that whole thing happened we got it on video and there was just so much excitement around it and they're like you have to come back when you finish and it really just invigorated me because at that time you know it, the like my following was growing on social media and i was definitely like you know helping to change the narrative about a number of countries um But having him say that, it really stuck with me and it stuck with me and carried me through the rest of the journey because I was like, yeah, Jessica, you're tripping. This is so much bigger (laughs) than you. Like, you know, at that point, I felt like I was merely a vessel, if you will, for all of these things, for responsible storytelling, for getting people to reduce their use of single use plastic, for encouraging more people to travel throughout Africa um, and just for changing the narrative around like Islam, of Islam and mm-hmm. like traveling in Muslim countries. And, and, and for me, that really was the moment where I stepped outside myself and I was like, you're right. It's not, it's not for me. It's for all of us. Um, and that helped to power me through to the finish line. I have to get back to Bali soon.
0: Yeah. One of the things mm-hmm. I think is so compelling about your perspective is the way that you engage with the people you meet. And you're obviously a real people person. Have you always found it easy to talk to strangers?
1: Yes, I also can talk to a wall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's 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 really interesting. So I recently, as in today, started listening to Malcolm Gladwell's Talking to Strangers. And I'm like, I'm loving it. I'm listening to the audiobook. Um, And you know what it is? And I talked about it in my TED Talk. For me... People are just people. I'm not like, oh, you're this nationality or this gender or this height or this weight or this education level, et cetera. You know, all these things that we all are. Um, for me, I'm like, you're just a person. I'm super fascinated because I'm, I've am i never been to this country. Um, you're from this country. And I always feel like I have so much to learn. Um, and I, I just I don't other people. And I think that's one thing I hope that people get from this journey is that we're more similar than we are different. And if you move with that in mind and you just think of the next person you're meeting as your neighbor um, and if you're being a good neighbor, it, to me, it shouldn't be difficult to meet new people. A lot of people reach out to me and they're like, oh, I'm afraid to travel solo. What's your number one tip? And I'm like, well, what are you afraid of? Like, what, what do you think is going to happen to you? You know, there's people who walk down the street every single day in every part of the world by themselves and they don't get attacked. You know what I mean? I'm just like, we have to really like ask yourself, what are you actually afraid of? People?
0: Yeah. People always ask you about safety, both in terms of being a woman and a person of color traveling alone and Mm -hmm. also with regards to visiting countries that have a certain perception or like a, Mm -hmm. a judgment attached to them. So what do you feel like you've learned about fear on your travels? Well, I i mean, number
1: one, it's manufactured, in particular in the West, in particular in the U.S. Um, when you look at media, when you look at the State Department warnings, it's like, ah, be afraid of everything and everybody and disease and da-da-da. <laughs> and I'm just like, really? Um, you know, people ask me a lot about safety. I'm like, use common sense. Right. But the worst things that have happened to me have been in the U S and Paris and Rome. So, you know, take that like, but I know people who've been to Paris and Rome and nothing has happened to them, you know? So I don't understand. I understand that what it is is perception and all it really is. It's a fear of the unknown. And I think as a, as humanity, we have so much unlearning to do because in particular, there's a fear of black and Brown countries. Mm. If, some, most people go on their first solo trip, they're going somewhere in Europe. They're, they don't have a fear of that. Even though Paris has had more terrorist attacks than Kenya, for example, in the last five, 10 years, no one is like, oh, I'm not going to go to Paris because I might be in the middle of a terrorist attack. But people will be like, oh, Nairobi is unsafe because, you know, they, there was an issue at the mall and then there was bombing at the hotel you know, and that will keep people from going to Kenya. But no one is stopping from traveling to Paris. They saw a slight decline in tourism, but it bounced right back. But it really it's just a fear of the unknown. And I just hope that I just really hope that people can get past it. And the big thing in my TED talk was what the way I opened it is I said, do you think of yourself as a good person? And most people said yes. And I'm like, okay. so why would you assume someone is bad just because you don't know them? Because that's what we're assuming, right? Right. We're assuming you're bad because I don't know you. If I catch you in an alley, I assume you're you may there's a the potential for you to do something bad to me. But would you do that something bad to a stranger? And if you wouldn't, why do you think someone else would?
0: Right. I think we're lacking... Sense just giving people the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like most people mm-hmm. are not out to get you and if you give people the benefit of the doubt and put good energy out there, then that's what you'll receive. That's,
1: that's what I'm saying. Like the places I've gone solo are like Saudi. I mean, I met up with some friends there, but like Iraq, um, Iran, uh, Somali, Somalia, um, you know, places that people are like, wait, you did what and where? Bamako, uh, Juba, South Sudan. And I had I met people and those people helped me to have like an incredible time in their country. You know, there's no country in the world that's completely safe and there's no country in the world that's completely unsafe. And so if you move with that in mind, sure, something can happen to me at any given day. I'm, I'm, I live in Detroit, right? Like, so anything could happen to me anywhere. So I think if you really think about it in that context that nothing bad, like, Bad things don't happen every day to most people, you know. So if we just think about it like that, I hope it brings people some solace.
0: Absolutely. But of course, some places are a little harder to visit than others because of, you know, there's visa stuff and, you know, maybe a lack of tourism infrastructure. How did you navigate? Were there any places specifically that you found it difficult to navigate getting visas and making sure that you could explore once you were there?
1: Yeah, Syria and, I mean, Afghanistan I guess you could say it was hard, but I'm a very persistent person. So (laughs) it took me three hours to get a visa um, because they kept telling me no. And I was like, That won't work for me. <laughs> Let's turn this no into a yes. But that's what I say. Like as long as you're persistent, you can make it happen. Libya, I got my visa in like under an hour, even though they told me the visa office was closed that day. Because I was just like, no, I have to have it now, or like the world is gonna end. Wow, no, not drama. that dramatic. I but love it. yeah, I mean, I was really persistent. Um, <laughs> And I know like I know visas literally take minutes to create so when they're like oh no there is a 10 day processing I'm like no there is not um, Algeria, I had an issue because I couldn't get the visa in New York. They were just like, it's just not done because there was a holiday. And I'm like, ugh. so then I convinced them to let me pick up the visa when I was in Ghana, which is something they never do. But I was just like, help me, help me, please. <laughs> and so they called the, the consulate um, or the um, the Algerian embassy in Ghana. And then um, my friend was so kind and had her driver go and pick it up for me. So so, yeah, I think one thing was I had to be very clever um, and that's because I had a deadline. Like if I didn't have a deadline, I would have been like, OK, fine. No Algerian visa. Um, but at that point, it was like down to the wire. I had like a month and a half left and I was like, everybody has to follow. Line. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there's a will, there's a way, Jessica. You right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there's this essay by Gloria Steinem about her travels in India back in the day. I don't know if you've read it. Um, And she kind of explains that as a female travel journalist, she's able to access these physical spaces and emotional spaces that maybe her male counterparts wouldn't be able to. So, you know, she can be like talking with the men and then be invited into the female only domain, like cooking in the kitchen with the grannies. Um, Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you, do you feel like when it comes to bonding with people from all these different cultures, that being a woman actually works in your favor quite often?
1: That's interesting. I think, yeah, I'm definitely granted access to spaces that men can't. But I feel like I've bonded equally with both men and women on my journey. And I think in many ways, men would not have even thought that I would have bonded in the way that I did. So on the flip side, like, for example, my hair is cut short and I go to barber shops. So I've entered so many barbershops in so many countries where they're like, wait, what? Because I'm a woman entering this very male space. But it was cool because many of them had never cut a woman's hair. Um, and so it, it brings about a different kind of conversation. I remember in Belarus, they actually turned me away. They were like, oh, we don't cut women's hair. I'm like, really? It's just <laughs> what? The clippers, it's they hat. can cut any <laughs> yeah. shape of head. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um and so I was annoyed and we left, but then they came back and we're like, oh, actually the barber wants to cut your hair. And he was like, I've never cut a black person's hair. And I'm like, okay, just shave my hair. Thanks. Um, but you know, it, all, it, it invites more conversations in a place mm. that, you know, people wouldn't otherwise have had it. When I was in Ethiopia, they have these like places where men go to drink alcohol in the evening. I call them like whiskey houses. I don't know what the actual name is. Um and I was, I was in Ethiopia for work outside of Addis. And one of my male colleagues was going and I begged. I was like, I want to go, please let me go. And they let me go. And so, yeah, all the men in there are like, what the hell is going on? What is this woman doing here? But to be able to enter that space was really cool. And I mean, what I will say is, as a woman, I can probably enter a male space much easier than a man can enter. Right, exactly. a Exactly. Women's only space, you know, so I think that's what's been really cool about it um, for me, like to push the envelope and, you know, convince men to allow me to enter into their
0: spaces. I love the barbershop stories. I feel like, yeah, need, l- oh, my God, a- it's
1: so fun. Did you write yeah. a post about it? Um, I don't know if I've ever written a post. You about definitely it. Maybe should. I have so many pictures. Like I have like <laughs> a variety. I always take pictures when I'm there. Like I remember just one quick story when I was in Nauru. So Nauru is one of the smallest countries in the world. Their population is like 13,000. And it's one of the least visited countries in the world. It's in the middle of the South Pacific. And basically, they're making their money from the Australian government who sends refugees there. Um, which I think is awful because imagine. So I'll tell you the story of the barber that I met there. Young guy, 26, you know, went to Australia as a refugee from Iraq and got sent to Nauru. This island literally on a motorbike or like a, yeah, like a Vesper or whatever, a scooter. That's what it is. Mm. It takes 45 minutes to get around the entire island. Wow. Like the entire country. And he had been there for five years. No clue. He does not know when he's leaving. And so when we had met him, he had only, um, I think he had just opened his barbershop like two months before. And he was also, he was a painter. So it's like really beautiful. And to just talk to him about his experience of living in this, on this tiny little island, I'm like, "Would, would you rather be in Iraq? And he's like, yeah. You know, because it's it's I mean, the island is nice and it's tropical, but like you're on a very, very small, extremely remote and remote. Right.
0: Exactly. Does he have did he have family with him or was he alone? No. Oh, my God. How lonely?
1: Oh, it's yeah, it's terrible. And, And I mean, you know, there's other people from his country and there's obviously other refugees, but just a very difficult existence. But, you know, had I not gone to get my hair cut, I never would have heard his story.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful so, way of putting yeah. it. I'd actually love to talk to you for a minute about influencing. Um, <laughs> I feel like travel influencers are coughing a lot of flack for things like trampling the super bloom and, you know, contributing to all kinds of over-tourism. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, in the past, maybe there's been an attitude of getting the most wonderlusty photo by any Mm -hmm. means possible at any cost because Instagram is such Mm -hmm. a visual platform. But influencers are kind of becoming more conscious about what they're communicating to the world and the fact that, you know, they do have responsibilities as people with a lot of eyes on them all the time. Um, And I think, you know, you're somebody whose content has a message and a purpose. And I'm just curious to know what you would say about the art of responsible influencing. Yeah,
1: I'm like an accidental influencer. (laughs)
0: Like... (laughs) Um, (laughs) people,
1: yeah, people say I'm an influencer, but I'm like, I would be doing this if there were no Instagram before Instagram existed. I'd been to over 30 countries. Mm. Um, and I've been doing photography since 2005, which is why I did get excited when Instagram came out because I'm like, oh my God, like a photography platform. This is great. You know, the challenge is. Yeah. A lot of these people are just going for the picture. A lot of these people don't understand, um, the cultural, political and economic nuances of the places that they're visiting. And quite frankly, many of them simply don't care. I think, um, you know, there was a lot of fallout around Saudi Arabia using some of the biggest influencers to travel to Saudi. And it's interesting. So The New York Times did an article and I commented on that um, with for them. And when I went to Saudi, so I went in December 2018, and that was the first time they allowed tourists in. But there, it was very limited to this one event. Now it's way more open. But that was the first time. And I remember a lot of people attacking me at that time. And I think that was before Khashoggi, I want to say. And here's the thing for me and travel in general. And I think I can say this as someone who, number one, is the child of immigrants and has family living in you know, a developing country. Um, number two, as someone who has a master's degree from the London School of Economics and International Development and having worked in the development space for nearly five years. Um, and number three, obviously, as someone who's traveled extensively, not just staying in hotels, but actually meeting local people. The thing for me is that tourism or travel and politics exist on two separate planes. So this idea of well, you shouldn't go to Saudi Arabia because of their human rights violations. Well, to that end, nobody should be entering the United States of America. If you if you you know what I mean, like if you really want to like do if you want to play those games of like putting forth our work, the worst parts of us, then nobody should be entering the United States. And we should all be leaving really, really quickly if we're talking about human rights violations, destabilizing governments, destroying countries, Mm -hmm. um, torturing people, putting children in cages. There's a number of things we could do. And so for me, while I could speak to politics around the world, I don't on my platform because that's that's not why I'm traveling. I'm Ugandan as well. I don't talk about the current administration in Uganda because I'm not here for politics. But of course, I travel to Uganda and I travel to a number of places that have very questionable leadership. But that's because these two things exist on two very different planes. So you're saying, like, look at what happened in Cuba. OK, we're going to not travel to Cuba because we're going to try and punish this government. But you're only punishing the local people They They saw a huge increase in incomes when America was a lot. When Americans were allowed to travel to Cuba, more people were able to rent out their homes. Restaurants were making more money. Taxi drivers were making more money. People selling things on the street, making money, tour guides, et cetera. And now you've taken that away to punish the Cuban government. You're not punishing the government because they probably have investments around the world. But what you are doing is you're punishing the Cuban people. And that's what happens. So, everyone who's so quick to like support, you know, economic blockades, I just don't get behind it because it's like those governments will never suffer. It is only the people living in those countries that are suffering. And many times they didn't choose their dictator. Um, they didn't choose to be born in those countries. It's a lottery of birth. And so why should we penalize those people because of the countries that they were accidentally born into?
0: That's so eloquently said and absolutely (laughs) spot on. Yes. (laughs) To take you all the way to the last stop on your journey. So you had that realization in Mali, that moment with the guys at the market, that this trip was Mm -hmm. bigger than you and it motivated you and energized you and took you all the way to your final stop, which was the Seychelles. And you wrote in the caption, this was our journey. And thank you to all of you who came along for the ride. It must have been the most amazing feeling to feel like so many people were rooting for you on this trip
1: it was i'm like tearing up <laughs> you know it was absolutely amazing and i missed so many messages because there was just too much coming in from all over the world um but the fact that so many people all over the world were excited it wasn't just black women or black people in general it was everybody there were you know people from European countries, Asian countries, all over Africa, America, South America, where every everywhere there were messages coming in from everywhere, people young, people old, Um, you know, people who are retired who tell me I've inspired them to get out and travel, college students who send me messages. And it really what I loved about our journey was that so many people could relate to it. And I think that's the biggest thing, because people are like, well, what's it like to travel as a black woman? Like, I can't tell you because I only travel as myself and, (laughs) you know, being black and being a woman is not a monolithic experience. Um, But what I can say is my journey, because people just saw me as Jessica, just Jessica, the person, my journey could appeal to so many different people, regardless of gender or race or religion or nationality. Um, And I think that was the most beautiful part of it.
0: And it goes back to your mantra that you know the whole world is your neighbor and everybody relates mm-hmm. to everybody else we have more in common than we realize or want to admit yeah, exactly <laughs> right exactly <laughs> and how has your life changed since completing the trip
1: oh that's interesting <laughs> that's a really good question i feel like i'm a lot more introverted Honestly, that's a big thing. Just Um, taking some downtime. (laughs) Yeah. People recognize me a lot, which is cool, but also can be very difficult at times just because like I get interrupted when I'm eating or Mm. like when I'm talking with friends and stuff like that. So that's something I think I need to adjust to a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I think it's been more now about savoring these moments, reliving a lot. I go through a lot of my pictures and videos every day and smile to myself. But yeah, it's mostly just giving myself time to figure out what I want to do next. I mean, that's the number one question. Mm. Everyone's like, what next, what next? And I'm like, hey, guys relax. Um, so came up I'm, I'm,
0: The last I'm, major achievement that I completed. Exactly. I'm
1: like, it's been three months. Nobody wants me to just rest. You know, in October and November, people are like, what are you doing next? I'm like, I'm chilling very hard. You know, like I spent a week in Atlanta with some friends and I didn't post anything on my feed. I posted a couple of things on my stories, but not much at all, because now it's just about Oh, I'm getting time. I'm getting to spend a solid week with a group of friends that I don't get to see that often. Um, and so, I think for me, it's about being much more present um, in a way that I was not always necessarily um, during the journey. Because you know, I was always trying to figure out, okay, where am I going next? Where am I sleeping? Who am I connecting with? Like, there was always so much going on. Whereas now, it's like I'm not traveling to six countries on a single trip. Now it's like one-offs. Like, okay. I'm going to Jamaica and I'm coming home. So I can really enjoy just being in Jamaica. Um, So, yeah, just more being present for sure.
0: Thank you so much, Jessica. You're just a very sparkly human being, and I love the way that you see the world. Um, And it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Before you go, I have a few quick-fire questions. Oh, I love these. <laughs> <laughs> What's the one thing that you never, ever travel without? Uh, headphones. Ooh, good answer. They are very mm-hmm. essential. Um, favorite country you visited and why? It's probably a tough one.
1: I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, it's too hard. I have too many favorites. I can't answer that one.
0: If you could teleport anywhere just for the day, where would you go and what would you do?
1: right now Georgia the country is on my mind so I would go to this restaurant in the countryside and I would have lunch and drink a bottle of wine and come home (laughs)
0: Um, what is the one thing you believe every person should experience in their lifetime being in love oh that's a nice answer I thought you were going to say something travel related but that's lovely Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, which country surprised you the most Uzbekistan. Loved it so much. What was surprising about it?
1: Um, I didn't know much about it because I was at a point where I wasn't doing research anymore. Um, But the colors, um, the colors of the textile, the ceramics, people were great. Nobody spoke English, but we had such a good time with the people. Um, And I thought the food was pretty good.
0: All right. I'm going to look that up. Maybe I'll go there Mm -hmm. this year. Um, Window, seat or aisle? Window hotel or airbnb hotel <laughs> do you like a fancy hotel yes <laughs> the fanciest <laughs>
1: i was let me say this yeah. i'd rather an airbnb over a three-star
0: hotel okay i like that but yes. probably a stylish airbnb you know more yeah nice sure. decor. um yes <laughs> top tip for travel deals
1: oh um sign up for the flightdeal.com airfare spot and uh secret flying and get those daily emails
0: all right um and now that you've been everywhere where are you hoping to go back to
1: oh like i have like a list of 100 places (laughs) i want to go back to
0: is there one that's calling to you especially strongly you know what, too.
1: So Cuba, Havana specifically. I want to go to Santiago de Cuba as well, but Havana has been calling my name for like two years since the last time I've been. Um, and then Lamu, Kenya, which is um, it's off the coast. It's south of like Mombasa and all of that. Um, not a ton of tourism, but just like a beautiful, magical place.
0: Is a beach town.
1: It is a beach town. Yeah,
0: beautiful. And Jessica, where can listeners find you on the internet? You can find me at The Catch Me If You Can, everywhere. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you want to travel with Jessica, visit globaljetblack.com. This year, she's launching a brand new trip to Georgia. That's the country, not the state. And it's going to be pretty special. She's also recently branched out with a new e-commerce venture called The Catch, selling hand-selected home goods and accessories from her travels. Jessica has really great taste, so you're going to want to check that out. One more thing before you go about your day. Full-Time Travel recently added an amazing travel advisor to our team, and I want to take a minute here to shout her out because booking through an advisor is such a travel hack, it's crazy more people don't know about it. Her name is Chelsea Martin. She's an affiliate of Embark and Virtuoso and she's also a travel influencer in her own right. You can find her on Instagram at passport to friday. Chelsea has amazing relationships with hotels, tour operators and locals all over the world. And not only will she sort the logistics and take all the stressful planning off your hands, she also scores insane perks at no extra cost to you. Think room upgrades, free cocktails, spa discounts and late checkouts to name just a few. So whether you want to book an extravagant honeymoon or just want to secure the best hotel for your budget, Chelsea has you covered. Just drop her an email at chelsea at fttadvisor.com. That's chelsea at fttadvisor.com and start planning your dream trip with VIP perks today. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you liked it. I'll be back in two weeks time to share more inspiring travel stories. And in the meantime, you can learn more about us by visiting fulltimetravel.co or following us on Instagram at full underscore time underscore travel. If you have a story you want to share on the trip that changed me, drop us a line. And please be sure to rate, review and subscribe so we can keep this adventure going.